With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Who likes ads? I hate ads interrupting my favorite shows. In an effort to keep the show ad-free, we have set up a Patreon account. The show will always be free to listen to, but unfortunately, it isn't free to produce. If you would like to donate to the show and help us out, please go to www.patreon.com backslash the Unseen Paranormal Podcast. That is patreon.com backslash the Unseen Paranormal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of The Unseen Paranormal, where some of the scariest things are unseen. I'm your host, Eric Freeman. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to chat with author Patrick Meekin about his incredible experience living in not one, but two homes with the paranormal, supernatural, and high strangeness. He has detailed all of these experiences in two books, Nightmare in Holmes County and 225th Street. His books are available on Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble, and wherever fine books are sold. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me on the program. Not a problem. I, uh, I got your books uh, sent to me from your publisher, from Beyond the Fray, and Shannon, yeah. I worked with Shannon a lot. And so I, I got into reading Nightmare in Holmes County. I'm like, I got to talk to this guy on my show. And so, uh, yeah, it's just a crazy, crazy stories, incredible stories. And so I wanted to hear it straight from you and the book, yeah. the, the books are great. I've, I've just started reading the two twenty fifth street, but the books are great and, uh, just lots of paranormal stuff going on. So you never had anything happen before you moved to Holmes County. Nothing like that. Um, you know, there were things in life sometimes that seemed a little bit odd or kind of a question. Man, that was weird, you know. Even when I was a child, there were a couple little strange things here and there, but nothing like what I have experienced, you know, uh, in Holmes County or at 225th Street. Nothing like that. I had experiences, you know, I was brought up in church, and I had experiences that were good, you know, somewhat um, unexplainable, but good, good things happened, you know, growing up. But um, the darkness that I experienced in Holmes County and at 225th Street, I had never experienced anything quite like that. Yeah, and so you and your wife uh, at the time decided to build a house in Holmes County, which is in Ohio. Yes. And so that's kind of right where, the, the, where the story starts and the craziness starts happening. Yeah, it, it, it was right in the heart of Amish country in Ohio. You know, it was a beautiful piece of land. It was beautiful country. I mean, uh Amish country is beautiful. It is, you know, and they have uh, many tourists that go to Holmes County every year because it is absolutely beautiful. There's all kinds of quaint little shops the Amish have or the Mennonites have or, you know, just people that live there. You know, all kinds of nice little shops. It's a fun place to visit. 
and it seemed very peaceful on the surface. And that's what I thought it was. That's what I fully expected. Um, I had lived in Kidron, uh, which is not terribly far from Holmes County, but it's in Wayne County for a couple of years. And my experiences in Kidron were wonderful. I mean, it was a wonderful town. And uh, I figured that's what I would be moving into in Holmes County. And, uh, you know, once we, you know, bought the piece of land and the house started being built, pretty much immediately odd things began happening. They broke ground at the beginning of the year 2002. And by March, uh, there was, I don't remember the exact date off the top of my head, but in March or Saturday night, my builder called me at work and um, he said, I didn't have the heart to tell your wife what happened, but he said a storm hit and your house has been demolished. And it had been, uh, the, the, base, the uh, basement was completely finished. The two stories were framed up and everything was completely demolished. And he kept saying to me, in all my years, I have never seen anything like this. Now, this gentleman was in his 60s at that point. He had been born into an Amish family. He had left the Amish church, um, but he was still friendly with the Amish. He subcontracted to Amish. And when I'm saying that because the Amish have a uh, very strong work ethic that they instill in their children. This gentleman had told me stories about when he was doing construction, you know, as a young man, very young, teenager, you know, and uh, doing cement work and all these things. This guy had been building for many, many years. And he's saying, I've never seen anything like this. And I just thought, well, it's a, it's a freak storm. It's a freak thing, whatever, you know. So they, uh, they tore all the wood away, auctioned it off, and started over. And I thought, well, you know, we'll put that behind us. And as the house was being completed, we did the woodwork. We painted the whole interior ourselves. We stained the woodwork ourselves. So there were many times I was there late at night by myself. And I would have a very uneasy feeling. Um, I would feel like I was being watched. And at that time, I mean, there were no neighbors close to me. I could see neighbors off in the distance across fields away, but it was very dark around the house. There was not even a safety light in the, down in the yard like there was, you know, when I moved. So it was very dark there. And I'd always feel, I, I thought, well, maybe I just feel like I'm being watched or I feel uneasy because it's an unfamiliar house and I'm not really familiar with Holmes County. But I, w I started taking a radio, like a boombox with me, and I would play uh, like worship music, Christian music, and that would take my mind off of things. And it always seemed to uh, calm me down, kind of calm the atmosphere. And I always felt, okay, I'm all right, you know, and I would just keep working. But uh, as time wore on, more strange things happened. There was a point where I stopped at the building site one day on my way to work, talked to the builder. And there was a very strange individual who worked for the builder. And he lived up on a house, up on a hill, uh, that oversaw the valley where our house was being built. So he could see our house off in the distance, okay? And he told me, he was sitting there one day, that day when I stopped, and he seemed very uncomfortable. He wasn't talking. He was just, he had his, his eyes were really big. He, was, he seemed like he was very uncomfortable. And I kind of ignored it. And I'm talking to the builder, and all of a sudden he blurts out, there was a man here last night. And I, and I thought, well, okay, my, my wife 
had a friend over with her new boyfriend and showed him the house and he saw the guy and that's all he's talking about, you know? And I said, Oh yeah, I, I know. You know, I, I kind of just downplayed it. And he, and I said, you know, they had uh, a, a Chelsea had a friend over with her new boyfriend. And he said, that's not what I'm talking about. He said he had to take his car to the garage to be worked on. And the garage was out on route 62. So he could take a shortcut from his house across the township road we were building on to route 62. And it was about a mile from his house. If he didn't take that shortcut, it was several miles out of his way to get to that garage. He claimed that he took the shortcut down the road while he was driving his car to the garage to be worked on. And he said there was a man hiding in the weeds at the edge of the property, watching the house. And he said he was very scary looking. And he said, I actually took the long way home because he had to walk home after he dropped off his car. He claimed that he walked several miles out of his way to get home because he was afraid to come back down our township road to get home because he didn't want to pass that guy again. So I thought, well, whatever, you know, I said, I have guns. If somebody comes around here, they're going to get shot. I'm not going to have my wife live in fear and I'm not going to live in fear, you know, and he didn't seem to like that too well either, you know, but. At the time, I didn't think a whole lot of it. As time wore on and the house was completed and we moved in and activity began happening in the house, you know, I I believe at this point it would be hypocritical to think he lied about it because I had so many experiences myself. Other people had experiences there. Um, People that had no reason to lie, you know, a delivery man who had no reason to lie about everything, about anything. Uh, claimed that, you know, he had, uh, he had met me there at the house before. And uh, I had never met this individual. He said he had made a delivery to the house and I answered the door wearing a white coat and talked to him, signed for the package. It never happened. He swore it did, you know, and um, he was adamant that it happened. And, you know, at this point, I feel that that was a, a doppelganger. I believe that is what he saw and experienced. You know, so as time wore on, I, I, I really can't doubt what that individual told me that was part of the construction crew. But, uh, you know, as, as time wore on and we lived in the house, uh, experiences kept happening. At one point, you know, we had to have some repairs made, even though it was a new house, because the builder took shortcuts on some certain things that caused issues. And it was very strange that he did that because, he had built a house for a friend of mine. He built a duplex for a friend of mine and he did an excellent job. And there were areas in the house he built for us that he like went above and beyond. And then all of a sudden he takes shortcuts in some of these really strange places that creates issues that we had to have repaired. So it was, it was very strange that he would do that. But eventually we, I, I had a couple guys that I went to church with a couple older gentlemen that were construction. I paid them to come and fix the, the screw ups and um, everything was done then. And I thought, okay, we'll move on now. It's okay. Well, we're going to put that behind us. We have a beautiful home in a, a beautiful area. We're going to be happy. But things began to happen after that, that just really didn't make sense to me. One instance, uh, shortly after all those repairs had been done, I was standing in a room when you came out of our garage and came into the house. There was a a room that we called the mud room. The mud room had a utility tub 
a washer, a dryer, and a closet. And we had two cats at that point, Moses and Zoe. Moses was a big tabby cat. He was a big cat. Zoe was a kitten. And Zoe, her whole life, she was very small. Even when she was a kitten, she was small. When she was an adult, she was always a small cat. And uh, she was just a kitten at that time. And um, we kept their food dish and their, and their water in the mudroom. And in that closet is where we had their litter box. So I went in there one night to put food in their dish before I went to bed. And I'm standing there, and the dryer door opened by itself. And I thought, how does a dryer door open by itself? The latch that holds it shut is pretty secure. I have never seen anything like this before. And I just thought that is strange. You know, I, I did think it, I hated to admit it, but in the back of my mind, I thought it was paranormal, but I kept trying to force it out of my mind, you know, and, you know, rationalize it. Right. So a while later, same situation. I'm in that room late at night and I put food in the cat's dish and Zoe, this little calico kitten, you know, she, she did not look like Moses. She was a calico. She comes into the room and runs over to the food dish and starts eating. And I looked right at her and I thought to myself, how cute. I put the bag of food away, walked out of the room. She was still in there eating. I left the room, walked through the house, into the foyer, turned to go up the stairs to go to the bedroom. And there was Zoe sitting on the top step looking at me. She was sitting there like she had been there a while. And I thought to myself, that is impossible. She can't be at two places at once. And then I thought that had to be Moses that came into the mud room and started eating. But I'm thinking, I looked right at her. It was Zoe, but it couldn't have been. It had to be Moses. So I walked up the stairs, past Zoe, walked across the landing and opened the bedroom door. And there was Moses sleeping on the bed with my wife. So I thought, okay, this is crazy. So I told her, I believe it was the very next day. Um, I, I was reluctant to tell her, but I felt that I had to. So I, I told her what happened. And, and she said, don't even tell me that. Don't even tell me that. And I thought the next thing out of her mouth was going to say, you are crazy, you know? And she said, um, there are times when you're at work and I'm downstairs on the elliptical. We had an, a, a workout room in the basement. And she said, I will be on the elliptical working out when I'm home alone. And I will see Moses run past out of the corner of my eye. And I think, there's Moses. And then I remember, Moses is upstairs. We don't allow him in the basement. And uh, the basement door is shut and he's not there. So at that point, I think we both were recognizing something's not right here. I don't understand this, but something's wrong. Uh, we began having problems in the marriage, started not getting along. I felt she was become, her personality I thought was changing. She became violent, multiple times became very violent. The uh, marriage ended up ending in a divorce. The last night she spent in the house was in October of 2006. I came home from work that, that it was a Saturday evening. I came home and she was gone. I, she was n never lived there another night. I didn't know where she was. Uh, it was strange she had left a crock pot full of food sitting there still on. It left all her clothes. I mean, I was like, what in the world, you know? She, I eventually was able to reach her on the phone, and she told me that the previous night at 3 o'clock in the morning, she heard 
someone ring the doorbell and let themselves in the house. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Well, we were not getting along, so I was sleeping on the couch downstairs. And I said, that did not happen. I said, I was downstairs on the couch. I didn't let somebody in the house. And I said, I never heard a thing. That didn't happen. And she said, I know what I heard. And then she proceeded to tell me she wanted a divorce. And I, it was very clear there was nothing I could do to save the marriage at that point. But as I hung up the phone in my head spinning, I'm thinking, you know, she never accused me of letting someone in. She said someone rang the doorbell and let themselves in. That's just weird, you know? Yeah. It, it, was, a, it was a very strange thing to happen. Uh, we divorced uh, beginning of February then, 2007. And I lived there alone from October of 2006 into the divorce of, uh, you know, in early February. I didn't really seem to have activity between the time that she left and the divorce happened. I didn't really have anything significant. However, after the divorce, and I was there alone, and I had assumed all marital debt. I knew the house had gone up in value. The property had gone up in value. So I had agreed to, I'll assume all marital debt. I'll sell the house. I'll sell the property, and all the equity is mine. She's walking away scot-free. But after the divorce was final, the activity escalated. And I began having things happen that removed all doubt that the house was haunted, things that were Im completely impossible. And I came to grips with, there is something here. I don't know why it's here. You know, before I had thought, well, did she open doors? Was she having people in the house when I wasn't home? Was she into stuff I didn't know about? And she opened doors. You know, I was thinking all these things, trying to rationalize how my house could be haunted when it was a new house. But eventually um, I, I started to believe Something that is true, which was that in the Amish community, there is a lot of witchcraft, Satanism, things of this nature that are all done under the radar, very secretive. And I, I felt that that had been revealed to me. I thought, I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian person, I'm a religious person, and I prayed a lot, and I felt that God showed me that. And then I had people who came along who confirmed it, people that used to be Amish. And they said, I don't know how you knew that, but it is true. They are into that out here. And they said, my own family is still into it. You know, I'm not, but they are. So I started thinking, okay, that's what my problem is here. Because once the house went up for sale, the Amish around me wanted the property, but they didn't want to pay what the value of the property was or what the value of the house was. So they were just trying, antagonizing me constantly, trying to get me to give up and sell it at auction. Yeah. Because you know, they, they do fix auctions, believe it or not, they fix auctions and then you walk away with nothing and they got your house at a, at, at a bargain. So, you know, I believe for a long time that that was the whole root cause of what I was experiencing. And that went on literally for, from 2007 until the beginning of 2010, I finally, you know, this nightmare I was in finally ended during that time I had 
all kinds of paranormal activity to deal with from seeing, you know, black masses pass right through the room to one night I went to the kitchen sink and I, I always drank apple cider vinegar mixed in a cup of cold water before I went to bed because the apple cider vinegar was supposed to be healthy and I wanted to dilute it. So I always did that just for the health reasons. And that particular night, it was about one o'clock in the morning or so. I had no curtains over the kitchen window behind the sink. I had a overhead light on in the kitchen, which was behind where I was standing. And when I looked at the window, it was like looking in a mirror. I mean, I could see my reflection as plain as day because it was pitch black outside and the light inside, you know, caused my reflection off of the, the window. So I mixed up my concoction. I tipped my head back as I put the cup to my mouth to take a drink. And my eyes just naturally looked straight ahead at the window. When I did that, I saw a black, like, it was like a black mass. It was like a shadow person, basically. It was like somewhat taller than me, and it was over my left shoulder. And I saw it in the reflection. And when I saw it, it disappeared in a downward motion. There was no doubt in my mind I saw it. Uh, there was no explanation. Um, I had many experiences like that. It, it became like many nights I slept with a Bible open on my chest and slept laying on my back with a Bible open on my chest because I, that's the only way I could sleep. Uh, the activity, you know, just continued on and on. Uh, the reason I titled the book Nightmare in Holmes County was many times I said, I feel like I'm in a nightmare and I can't wake up. That is, it was like a nightmare that just goes on and on and you want to wake up, but you can't. Right. I had an experience in the fall of 2009. You know, I had many experiences that, you know, time doesn't permit me to get into, but it, it was horrific. Living there was horrific. There were times when things seemed peaceful and then out of the blue, something paranormal would happen. It would just not only scare me, but it would discourage me because every time that happened, I felt more like, I'm trapped here. You know, I'm praying. God's not listening. Why, why is this happening to me? What did I do? You know, it, it was very discouraging. But um, in the fall of 2009, I started down a path that led to my deliverance. And I didn't know it at the time. I had no idea. You know, I thought, you know, if, if this house doesn't sell in 2010, I'm losing everything I own because I can't continue these payments like this, you know? So I, I was being antagonized by the Amish again. You know, they would show up. They, they even got my realtor to try to go along with them in letting uh, them, they wanted me to let them have their bank, as they called it, come and appraise the property. And I said, we're not even negotiating a price. Why would I let their bank come here and negotiate a value on my property? That makes no sense. I had repeatedly asked, my realtor, are these people you're talking to Amish? And she denied it repeatedly. And um, so eventually I said, look, I, I'm not buying this. I said, a bank's not going to come and appraise a property when we haven't even started serious negotiation on a price. I said, who is the bank? And at that point, she told me it's the Amish Health Fund. The Amish Health Fund is a bank that oversees all the Amish churches. They give out loans to Amish. Um, so at that point, I knew you lied to me and you are talking to Amish and you're working against me. So that was very discouraging. Yeah. And I told her at that point, I said, you go tell that cult 
I'm not selling my land to them. I'm not talking to them again. Leave me alone. Don't even contact me again. And I said, use those exact words. And I said, you tell them what I said. And uh, she wasn't happy with me, but you know what? She wasn't the one being antagonized, you know? So that night I could not sleep. And I was watching as I often did uh, a Christian video about deliverance. You know, I started watching and studying exorcism and spiritual warfare and these things because I was like, I, I'm either, I'm either going to beat this or it's going to beat me. But if it beats me, it's not going to beat me without me putting up a fight, you know? So I just continually kept studying. And uh, I was watching a video series by a pastor named Perry Stone. And the the video was called purging your house. And he talked about the paranormal. He talked about, you know, how to get rid of demons, things like this. And around three 30 or so in the morning, I uh, got up to use the restroom and uh, there was a restroom at the top of the stairs in the foyer. So I came out of the bedroom. I walked into that bathroom. Now, all of our doors were solid oak doors. Anyone who's lived in a house with solid oak doors knows, you know, the difference between solid oak and other forms of wood or hollow doors or whatever, you know, there's a sound they have when you knock on them. There's a feel to them, everything. And I'm in the restroom. And again, at this point, it's probably 3.30 to 3.40 in the morning. And out of the blue, and now keep in mind, I lived alone with my cat. And I, I had two dogs, but they were outside. And I heard, plain as day, out of nowhere, knock, knock, two loud knocks on the bathroom door. At first, I started to say, what? Because it was like, it was a reaction. You know, somebody knocks right. on the door, you say, what? You know? And um, instantly, I realized, there's no one here. My security system did not alarm. My doors are locked. Only my mom has a key, and she wouldn't just show up here at 3.40 in the morning. She lives three counties away from me. And, I mean, it scared me so bad that I started trying to say spiritual warfare type of prayers that I had learned through my studies. And I started saying, in Jesus' name, I rebuke you, I bind you, get out of my house. But I'm yelling that, and all that is coming out is a whisper. It's like, in Jesus' name. Because I'm so scared, it's like when you have a nightmare and you try to run and you can't run. Or you try to scream and nothing comes out. But I was wide awake. I could barely get anything to come out of my mouth. I was so scared. And uh, I prayed as best I could, you know, with, you know, being able to get much, you know, I couldn't get much of anything to come out. But then I, uh, I thought, I'm not leaving the bathroom until the sun comes up. And I stayed in there a while yet. And then I thought, there might be somebody in my house. I have to go out, you know? So I got in the closet. I found a pair of barber shears. So I had a pair of scissors. Like I thought I could stab somebody if I have to. And, um, as I went to leave the bathroom, I, I put my hand on the doorknob and I, it wasn't a knob. It was like a door handle. And I, and I, I stopped myself and I thought, okay, wait a second. You don't know what you're going to see when you open the door. You might be staring at a hooded figure. You don't know what you're going to see. So what are you going to do? You can't fight a demon with a pair of scissors. So no, I, I cemented in my mind, no matter what I see, no matter how scared I am, I'm fighting and I'm going to go after it and I'm going to be quoting scriptures and I'm, you know, praying, you know, and, and I cemented that in my mind, no matter what I'm fighting. I opened the door. There was nothing. The house was peaceful and quiet. I went into my bedroom 
I called my mom and I said, you know, at this time it's going on four in the morning. And I said, I told her what happened. She was well aware of the activity in the house. She had even experienced it when she had been there before. And um, I said, mom, the only reason I'm calling is I'm going through this entire house top to bottom with my shotgun because I have to make sure somebody's not here. And she, and, and she said, okay, I said, I'm going to keep you on the phone because if there is somebody, I have a witness that, that somebody was, you know, here and I, I may have to shoot somebody, you know? Yeah. So as I'm telling her that I said, I can't find my shotgun shells. And she said, you're not going to need them. It's not a person. And I said, I know that, but I have to prepare myself. So I found my shotgun shells. I level, I, I loaded my double barrel shotgun. I went through the entire house, top to bottom, every closet, everything. There was no one there. The doors were locked. The security system was armed. There was no one. So I have to say that experience was absolutely horrific. But from that point on, it seemed that things began slowly, very slowly changing in my favor. I believe there were steps that I felt led that I had to take that God wanted me to take that show faith to, to basically um, exercise my faith and, and show that I do have faith in God and I am going to fight back through that power, you know, and I did the things I felt I was led to do. And lo and behold, one night, an old friend from grade school that I had not talked to in, you know, decades contacted me on Facebook and started you know, chatting with me and we started talking and I said, you know, at this point I'm at with them. I don't care if people think I'm crazy. My house is haunted. You know, I'll tell you that my house is haunted. I don't know what to do. And she said, here's my number. Call me. I need to talk to you. So I called her and um, I explained what I was dealing with. And she said, I believe everything you're saying because I've experienced these kinds of things before. And she said, where do you live? And I told her, and she said, well, that's funny. My husband was adopted by an Amish family. He was raised Amish, but he never joined the Amish church. And he lived just down the road from where your house is. She said, I'm going to talk to him and see if he knows anything that can help you. So a few days later, they contacted me. And his name was Dennis. And uh, Angie, that was the girl, my old friend from grade school. Angie put Dennis on the phone. And... Um, he said to me, he said, Angie told me that you believe the Amish are practicing witchcraft against you, and that's why your house is haunted. And I said, yeah, I do believe that. And he said, well, you are right. They are practicing witchcraft, and if they don't like you, they're doing it against you. He said, but that's not even your biggest problem. He said, you have a way bigger problem. And I said, what? And he proceeded to explain to me the history of the land that I built my house on all the way back into the 1790s. And what had happened on that land, you know, he explained that there was a treaty line that ran at that time. He said it might even be on your property. It's very close to your house. And he said, you built your house on cursed land. He said there was a treaty between the American Indians and the American government. And he said um, the Indians ended up losing everything and they cursed the land. And he said, the Amish know this. He said, I was raised Amish. They talked about it. They told me, but they're never going to tell you. He said, that's your problem. So Dennis and Angela agreed to come to the property. Now, I'm leaving out details. There were other attempts made before this to try to rid the house of the haunting. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That, um, I found there were puzzle pieces that fit finally, and I learned more information that was very helpful. I learned why... There was a lot of activity around the front door of the house, including my ex-wife's claim that her last night in the house, she heard someone ring the doorbell and let himself in. You know, all these pieces finally fit. But Dennis and Angela, in December of 2009, agreed to come to the house, and the, the three of us performed what I call an exorcism. You know, because you think of exorcisms being on people, but the word exorcism means casting out demons. And that is what we did to the property and the house. And after that day, now I didn't experience anything after that. Dennis had experiences after that, even when he left the property. There were other people that were at my house the very day we did the exorcism. After the exorcism was complete, they, you know, some people visited me that evening, took guitar lessons from me. And when they left, they had experiences. But I never had any more. And the house sold so quickly in the beginning of 2010. Now, keep in mind, I'd had that on the market since the beginning of 2007. Right. It sold almost overnight. And they told me, you know, the people that bought the house said, we want you out. We want, we want to move in. So you have till this time to get out, you know? So they weren't, they weren't the nicest people. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> and um, so I was scrambling for another house. The, uh, the young lady that I had met at that time, I say young lady, she was, you know, late thirties at that time, but she, uh, she the, the, I was dating her and she was very helpful and she helped me find another house. She said, Hey, here's a house that I think would work for you in another town. It's not in Holmes County and it's close to where you work. It's a nice two story brick house, a huge yard, couple city lot uh, for the yard. Um, it's all fenced in, multiple garages on the property. She said, I think it would work perfect for you. So she kind of helped me out, and I found this house. And I, I never say where the, what town the house is located in. And I eventually wrote a book about that house. Yeah. And I never used the real names of the other people in the story. I changed their names out of respect. But that house that I moved into after Holmes County became the book to 25th Street. And what happened, I moved from Holmes County into this other house, fully expecting that, okay, my nightmare is over. Holmes County's done and over with. And I was so miraculously delivered of a terrible situation that I feel that I'm supposed to share my story because I was hopeless. And I think there's other people that experience these things. And I think sometimes, you know, they give up hope completely. And I need to share with them how I was delivered and what worked for me. And, you know, so I, I moved into this other house at 225th Street. That's the real address. And I started writing Nightmare in Holmes County. But as I was doing that, I began having experiences in this other house. And I kept thinking, there is no way something followed me from uh, Holmes County. 
because that exorcism was complete. That nightmare is over, but something's not right in this house. And I had told my mother in confidence, I said, if I didn't know any better, I would swear there's something here. You know, I said, I know something couldn't have followed me from Holmes County, but something's not right here. So I began having these experiences one night, which I believe was on March 1st, 2010. I came home from work and I went upstairs. And when I entered my bedroom, which the room I had chosen for my bedroom at 225th Street was the room to the left of the bathroom at the top of the stairs. And I, I opened the door. And when I walked into the room, my bed was sitting at a strange angle. It's not the way I left my bed. My bed was sitting straight. Now it's, it's moved. So I thought, okay, I moved in last week. My cousin, who's an electrician, when I moved in, he immediately wired this room to have a satellite TV hookup in here. So if I want to watch movies when I go to sleep, I can or whatever, you know. But I thought he was done. He did this room first. He's been done for almost a week. Why would he come back in here? But I thought it has to be, that has to be what happened. He came back in, he checked his work, and he moved my bed for some reason. I'll ask him about it tomorrow, and I'm sure he's going to say, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I went in there, I moved your bed, and I forgot to put it back. So I convinced myself that's what happened. And I laid down in my bed. Now, my bedroom door was shut. I laid down, I straightened the bed, laid down, and when I shut my eyes to try to sleep, it was like I had a vision. It was like I was suddenly standing outside of the bedroom door looking down the staircase. And when I looked down the staircase, I could see there was a hooded figure coming up the stairs. Now, what I mean by that is it looked like someone wearing a hooded black cloak. And it was like a long black cloak and with the hood up. I could see the face. The face looked like an old man. He had a... a uh, complexion. He looked like he was dead. It looked like a body in a casket, the, the complexion. He was like looking down. He had a, a creepy grin on his face and uh, he was kind of round shoulders and he was coming up the stairs. And what I saw in this vision, it was not the way your mind pictures something. You know, when we remember something or we picture something in our mind, it's not crystal clear like you're locked in and you see every detail. Right. This was like I was seeing every detail in high definition. I opened my eyes and I thought, what in the world was that? I'm not scared. I'm sure my cousin moved my bed. I, you know, I have nothing to worry about. Where did that come from? You know, so I shut my eyes, attempted to sleep again. When I shut my eyes, there I was again. It was like I was outside the, the bedroom door looking down the stairs and I'm seeing this hooded figure. This happened um, altogether around four times. And then I eventually said, I, I, I opened my eyes and I said out loud, uh, a spiritual warfare type of prayer like I had learned to pray in Holmes County. Now, I knew nothing about the history of 225th Street. So I generically said, I renounce every sin that has ever happened in this house and I bind the demons in Jesus' name and I cast you out. And something to that effect. I shut my eyes, the vision was gone, I went to sleep. The next day, I told four people. I told my best friend. I told my mother. I told the, the woman I was dating and her oldest son. So I have witnesses that I had described this situation. You know, I believe that incident was on March 1st, 2010. Okay. 
So a few days later, you know, within like a week, there were other strange things that happened in the house. Uh, at one point, it was raining inside the house in the living room. It was There was rain pouring out of the ceiling of the living room. My cousin was there working. He calls me, get down here right away. I go down, it's raining. He's like, what in the world? So a pipe had broken inside a wall upstairs. Uh, my cousin figures out what's going on. He cuts out the ceiling. He, he eventually fixes everything, you know. But, you know, when that happened, I looked at him, and it, things were so strange. I looked at him, and I said, if I didn't know better, I would swear something followed me from Holmes County. Right. Well, a few days later, my neighbor comes over. It's a Saturday. Um, in the book, I named him Steve. He's a really nice guy. He lives two houses away from me. And he walks over. I'm outside. He introduces himself and, you know, just, you know, introduces himself, shakes my hand and goes home. So the following day on Sunday afternoon, my mother and my sister and my brother-in-law stopped to visit me. And we're sitting on the porch or we're standing out there talking. And Steve comes over with his girlfriend. And uh, he tells me, he says, you know, I want you to know you're welcome here. And he said, if you need any help with anything, you let us know. We all help each other here. And he said, you know, I'm an electrician. He said, so-and-so does plumbing work. Another guy works on cars. If you need help, you, you let us know. We help each other. And I said, okay, thank you. I appreciate that. And he said, well, that's the good news now for the bad news. And I interrupted him. I knew what he was going to say. And I looked right at him and I said, you're going, going to tell me that my house was haunted. And his eyes got big, his mouth dropped open like he was surprised. And he said, yeah, man, your house is haunted. Some dude killed himself in your basement a long time ago. I turned around and I looked at my mom and I said, I told you so. <laughs> and she said, you did. And my sister standing there going, what's he talking about? Not again. What in the world, you know? Right. She was well aware of the activity that we overcame in Holmes County. So, he, you know, he tells me, you know, that there was a suicide in the house many years earlier. That's all he really told me that day, and then he went home. At that point, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am to put Nightmare in Holmes County. The writing of that book is to be put on the back burner. I am to devote all my energy into researching this house, the history of the house, the history of the haunting. And I am to write a book about this house and it is to be titled 225th Street. I knew that as well as I knew my name. I knew it. And so I, at that point, did that. And I began researching and contacting, tracking down and contacting everyone I could find who had lived in that house or spent time in that house and interviewing them. And as I come to find out, on March 1st, 1958, the individual who had built the house in 1924, I believe it was, had gone, going down the stairs to the basement with a rifle. He went into the root cellar, shot himself in the head. So I found it very strange that March 1st, 2010, I have this strange experience where I have this vision of an older man uh, in a black hooded cloak, like a hooded figure, you know, coming up the stairs. And I knew in my mind, I would, you know, I was thinking I would bet you money that that guy looked just like the hooded figure, you know? Right. And uh, as I found out through my research, I was never able to find a picture of that individual. I know I can tell you, I found so much documentation over the years 
about him. I was never able to find a pitcher, but I was able to find locals who were older, very old people who remembered everything, very kind people who were willing to talk to me. And they told me, you know, um, I did track down the son of the individual who killed himself. He was at this point in his 80s. And I also had found an obituary for the grandson of the man who killed himself in the house. And he died at a, in his late 60s. Now, the suicide happened, the man who killed himself killed himself in his late 60s. So the grandson's obituary picture looks almost identical to the hooded figure. These local people who knew all three of them, all three of the individuals, the man who killed himself, his son, and the grandson, confirmed to me they all look alike. They look the same. They're, you know, it's uncanny how much they look alike. So I, I thought that that's pretty good proof that what I saw as a hooded figure, you know, was presenting itself as the individual who killed himself. So there is a lot of stories that of my experiences in the house. I was there for three months in 2010. We did attempt an exorcism in the house. It did not work. I didn't know why at the time. I believe I have confirmed very clearly now why the exorcism didn't work. One of the main reasons why. But, you know, I wrote, originally I wrote 225th Street in 2011, and it documented all my research, the history of the house and the haunting, my own experiences, the experiences of many people before me who had lived there. And then in 2015, I released Nightmare in Holmes County. It was released as a prequel to 225th Street. In, I believe it was October of 2020, I was contacted by uh, Shannon Legros from Beyond the Fray Publishing, and she said, uh, Patrick, you know, I'm, you know, one of the uh, main people here at Beyond the Fray Publishing, and I am curious if you would like for us to republish your book. Would, would you be interested? And I said, yes, I am interested, but I am aware that since the time that I lived in each house, there is continuing activity. There's more things that substantiate my claims that I've already made in both books. I said, I believe if I'm going to have the books republished, I need to add additional content to the both books. And she said, I agree. I do believe you should, you should do that. So that was the agreement. I went back and I researched more and I had many notes over the years of things that I knew happened that were related to Holmes County. And continuing activity from 225th Street and how uh, terrible things had happened to others who had lived there during that, you know, the, the years since I lived there or had happened to other people who lived there before me that I fully believe was attributed to their time at the house. Because most people at 225th Street after they left felt that something followed them. So in early 2021, both books were re-released first, uh, Nightmare in Holmes County was re-released with additional content. And then in March of 2021, the second edition of 225th Street was released. Greatly expanded. A lot of additional information. A lot of investigation uh, went into that. There were notes that when I rewrote 225th Street, I had kept all kinds of notes from my interviews of the people that lived there, the, pe the locals who told me things. I, I, you know, I had handwritten notes from all these interviews and I, I went back and there were things that I did not put in the first edition because I had no idea that they were 
relative to the, the haunting. And, you know, when I started going back and reinvestigating and I know all these additional things have happened, now I'm looking at these notes and I'm like, oh my goodness, these other details actually are directly related to the haunting and they need to be added now. So a lot of 225th Street things were rewritten, additional content was added, and then there's multiple additional chapters documenting the continuing haunting of the residents and the people who live there. So again, both books are greatly expanded, you know, and it does show in 225th Street, for instance, you know, there, I quoted Ed Warren, most people that are into the paranormal or even movies, you know, know that Ed and and Lorena uh, or Lorraine uh, Warren are the people behind the Conjuring movies. Their real cases of uh, investigating hauntings are what are the Conjuring movies now. And um, Ed and Lorraine investigated many famous hauntings. And Ed made a statement many years ago. He said, sometimes hauntings like stepping in gum, you take it with you. You know, if, if you experience a haunting and you just leave, it may follow you, you know? Right. And I think with 225th Street, there's a lot of evidence that that happened. And there are significant events that coincide with each other that show that, oh, yeah, this stuff does follow you, even devout Christians. If you are unaware that something is attached to you, it can attach to you and follow you. Now, that's not to say you're possessed, but it is to say you can have a demon attached to you and you don't even know it, and it can affect your health. And there were multiple cases of of these kinds of things happening. So with the re-release of both books, you know, all those different incidences and experiences are shared in both books, again, greatly updated and expanded. Yeah, uh, going back to when you lived in Holmes County, Mm-hmm. You kind of touched on on the Amish uh, quite a bit mm-hmm. and kind of getting some validation from your, your friend's husband about them doing curses and that type of stuff. Yeah. But you kind of yeah. had problems with them from day one when you moved in because they didn't want you to be on the land. Absolutely. You know, they saw me as an outsider, and they really felt like, you know, we don't like this guy. I Again, I had problems with the builder. You know, I, I will tell you that many years after I was out of Holmes County, uh, the builder's son, who I always got along very well with, he was a great guy, he's a nice Christian guy, and I would talk to him a lot while they were building the house, and, and, and he was just a really nice individual. I ran into him years later, and we were talking, and I told him, you know, what I had experienced, and he said, did you ever think that maybe when we broke ground there, we unearthed something, and it brought all that upon you, and, and, and I said, yeah, I, I do think that's possible. And he said, I'm going to be honest with you. I think that whatever was there affected my dad. And he made all kinds of mistakes because he was being affected by what was there. And, you know, I hadn't really thought about it like that until he said it. But I do believe that. Yeah. Because, you know, wh- why would he go to great lengths with a certain area and went above and beyond in his construction? But then he would take shortcuts in other strange areas that he shouldn't have. You know, it's very strange. His behavior was erratic. And I do believe he was affected without even knowing what was going on. I think he was affected by what was there. But, yes, I did. I had problems with the Amish almost immediately, trespassing, you know, all kinds of things like that pretty much early on. So, and it is, 
you know, there's a lot of evidence in Nightmare in Holmes County. There's photographic evidence that proves that there is satanic activity done by the Amish in Holmes County. So, you know, there's a lot of stories and a lot of evidence of that. Yeah, and I've heard around the paranormal community as well about some of that with the Amish community. Like you said, it kept very hush-hush, but people who have come out of the Amish community who did, you know, been excommunicated because they didn't want to join the church and that type of stuff, um, have come out and talked openly about that with some of the, and not, not saying all Amish and Mennonite people are that way, but there are some pockets, um, that are very yeah. much into that type of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not that they're all doing it, but there are, it, it, it is pretty prevalent to be totally honest. That doesn't mean they're all doing it, but I had people who, I met while I lived in Holmes County that had, be, you know, left the Amish church. And the one individual told me that one of my neighbors who I had a lot of problems with, and this is all the details are documented in the book, but yeah. he told me flat out, he said, that individual is a witch. You know, in real witchcraft, you're not just a warlock if you're male and a witch if you're female. A witch can be male or female. Right. And he, and, uh, he said that he is a witch one of the people that you have the most trouble with. And he said his, the form of witchcraft he practiced is passed on from generation to generation from the parent to the opposite sex child. And he said his daughter, he passed it on to her. And he said she got into witchcraft over her head to the point that now she is, you know, considered uh, mentally insane. And he said that, that she's in an insane asylum. And I said, well, I believe that's actually demon possession. And he said, absolutely, it's demon possession to the point that she's insane now. And he confirmed all that. He said, I, I have to tell you, he said, I went to that, that individual's church. That's where I went to church when I was Amish. And he said, his father taught us in the church, taught all this stuff. And he said, he taught the whole church these things. And he taught against biblical Christianity. And he said, when I got out of that, he said, I was still demonized and I had to reclaim the land. That's what he called it as a former Amish. The, you know, he had to take back areas of his life that he had given over to the devil through what he had practiced because of what he was taught. Yeah. And he told me he had to do that, you know, so it is very prevalent out there. Again, they're not all doing it. And I'm sure there's people that speak against it and will have nothing to do with it. But it happens more than what you would believe. Yeah. You know, the average person would believe. Yeah. And also you hear about the Amish mafia, even though you don't, I don't remember you specifically saying anything about the Amish mafia in the book, but they are in, in at least Holmes County, they kind of are prevalent even with the police department and the government. And so it's kind of like Absolutely. the Amish mafia. It is, it is. And they are, uh, I think I did actually mention it in there. I did actually mention it, mentioning that, you know, they are in control of everything like the mafia and they are, it is true. They control the law enforcement. There's a lot of details in there that the guy that was sheriff, when I lived there, I guarantee you he knows my name and he doesn't like me and I, I really don't care. I talked very directly to him because I was I was fed up right. with the, the things he was permitting. And, you know, it, it was unthinkable, the things that he, he looked the other way on. But he, the thing is, he's an elected official. And people think that Amish don't vote. That is a misconception. They do vote. I took a couple of my neighbors to the polls for election day for the presidential election in 2004 because I, I knew, well, they're going to have to hire a, a van driver or take their buggies 
I'll just pick them up and take them, you know, because at that point I was still trying to be friends with them and everything. Yeah. And I, I gave them a ride. They vote, you know, and the thing is, if the sheriff goes against the Amish, he's getting voted out. Right. So to save his job, he's going to do what they want. Yeah. And so I think after, you know, you telling both the stories about both the houses and like you said, in the books, I, my listeners need to go read the books because there's so much more that went on that of course time won't allow us to touch on all that stuff. Yep. But have you had anything follow you since the two twenty fifth street house? I'm going to tell you, um, I don't want to say actually followed me. What I will tell you is this, you know, my writing style, I feel that I am the reason I feel I am to write is to not only share my experiences to help others, but I believe in doing that. I share it from my perspective. This is my story. This, these are my experiences. And as a religious individual, I know the answer is in the Bible. So I'm going to tell you that if you like the paranormal, I'm going to tell you my experiences, which two people who are into that will find entertaining. But I'm also going to tell you the solution because I feel that's what I, that's the right thing to do. And when you write from that perspective, I will tell you this, people that write about the paranormal get visited anyway while they're writing and sharing. But when you write it and you're sharing also the solution, demons don't like being exposed, especially when you're exposing how to deal with them. So they will mess with you. I had many experiences while writing 225th Street that I share in the second edition of 225th Street that I was visited buy things from that house or just demons in general trying to stop me. People who helped me with the book were visited by the demonic because they helped me. The guy who originally edited the first edition was visited by demonic activity, you know, and all of that is shared in the second edition. But um, I will tell you this, I, I'm working on a book right now. Uh, it's going to be released, released later this year. It's going to be called Shadows and Light, and it's going to share multiple cases. Some are my own cases of uh, assisting other people with demonic hauntings, and there's going to be a couple stories shared that are not my own stories. They're people that I know, and I have exclusive rights in the one case, exclusive rights to the story, the evidence, which is horrific, but you know, photographic evidence and the story, but the, even the way that story unwinds and it comes to a completion shows that, Hey, there is, that there is power to overcome this in Jesus name. This can be defeated, you know, good will overcome evil. You just have to know how to deal with it, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I'm sharing all those stories and I will tell you, I have had multiple experiences while I'm just gathering the evidence to begin writing shadows and light. So I don't feel that I necessarily would followed because I, learn to pray spiritual warfare prayers, but I will say I have been visited. And I think that's just a, the way life goes. When you engage in spiritual warfare, when you go help other people, other families with their hauntings, you will be visited because even though you can have victory and help others have victory, the devil still wants to mess with you, you know, and it's just part of life, you know, it's part of warfare. So, I do have a lot of experiences uh, that have yet to be shared, but I, I do fully believe what is in Holmes County. Like I said, in, in, in the second edition, I know an individual that went there with me later and we visited some satanic meeting sites and he took an attachment home with him and his house began having activity. 
I had to go pray over his house, you know. So these things can happen. And, of course, 225th Street, they followed others for, for certain. Yeah, and I, I've been a paranormal researcher and investigator for many, many years, and a lot of my friends that, that investigate as well, and um, they'll tell you the same thing, is that mm-hmm. a lot of times when you look into the paranormal, it looks back. And <laughs> Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Yeah, I've had lots of things happen in my house too over the years, and it seems kind of transient. Um, kind of deal with it with cleansings and stuff, but uh, yeah, it's yeah. It, it definitely notices you back when you notice it, and and it can definitely ramp things up. Absolutely, absolutely. As I, as I have brought an evidence home that I obtained from a local police department about one of the stories I will be sharing in my next book. I began having activity in my home. And it, I'll be honest, it, I didn't like it too well. It, it was very uncomfortable when it happened. And there were for, there were a few days that I did not uh, sleep well. I really felt like, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm somebody that knows how to deal with this stuff. I, still don't, want, I don't like being visited by it, you know. Right. But um, right now, I feel like everything's good. I feel like things are peaceful again, you know, right now. But like you said, you look at it, it looks back. Yeah. All right, everyone, go check out both of Patrick's books, Nightmare in Holmes County and 225th Street. Like I said, they're available on Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble, and wherever fine books are sold. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today, Patrick. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. All right, everyone, as always, stay safe out there. Have a good day. Join us next time for a new episode of The Unseen Paranormal. Until then, head over to The Unseen Paranormal Lounge on Facebook for all the latest updates and discussions about the show. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, or at unseenparanormalpodcast.com. And please rate, review, share, and subscribe to help more people discover the show. The Unseen Paranormal Podcast is proud to be the ambassador for paranormal for verbal.com. A big thank you to my friend Chris Lips for the awesome theme music. You can find more of his music on Apple, Amazon, or Spotify. And as always, thank you for listening.